I want to welcome you to the final state keynote conversation of the day. It is entitled, Really, How Conservative Was the 84th Session? For me and for any of you who regularly attend our events, this may be a case of deja vu. We've been pleased to convene, and I've been pleased to lead a version of this conversation twice before. Last December, at a day-long symposium here in Austin, previewing the 84th legislative session, four of our panelists today, all but Representative Click, joined me for a discussion called What the Tea Party Wants. At the 2013 Texas Tribune Festival, right here on this stage, Representative Stickland was one of six at a panel called, yes, what the Tea Party wants. <laughs> Two things should be clear to you by now. One is that our panel titles have a tendency not to be very original, and the other is that I have a thing for Representative Stickler. <laughs> it's mutual. It is. There you go. Um, while the title of this year's panel is different, the principal question that we'll address is largely the same because the issue at hand remains the issue in Texas politics. What does the Tea Party, or more properly, what do grassroots conservatives want? I noted back in 2013 that this is not the one-party state of old, or even the two-party state that has long been the small-d democratic ideal. This is a three-party state. Roughly, not perfectly roughly, but roughly, a third, a third, and a third. A third Democrats, a third traditional Republicans, and a third Tea Party. It was true then, and it's especially true as we sit here today. The most meaningful and defining fights in Texas these days, and particularly in the legislature, are not R versus D, they're R versus R. Given what's going on in Congress in the aftermath of Speaker Boehner's announcement that he will leave his job and leave Congress, the shadings and gradations of conservative, who is and who is not conservative, and what is and what is not conservative, make this an especially relevant conversation to be having right now. Let's introduce our panelists who are in the best possible position to set me and all of you straight on all of the above. On my left, immediately on my left, is State Senator Paul Bettencourt, Republican of Houston, elected in 2014 to represent Senate District 7. In the 84th session, he's vice chairman of the Intergovernmental Relations Committee and serves on the Finance, Education, and Higher Education Committees. Raised in Houston, he has an undergraduate degree from Texas A&M University, which he tells me is getting its butt beaten by Alabama. <clears throat> right well, now. specifically, as yes. the only Aggie Catholic senator, my replacement at the game is a Jewish tea sip friend of mine named Gary Polland. And he is far happier at the A&M game than I would be, so I'm happy to be here. And in, in an hour, <laughs> he will be far happier at the A&M game than you will be here. We will see. We'll see. Okay. Uh, uh, State Senator Connie Burton on Senator Betancourt's left, Republican of Colleyville, was elected in 2014 to represent Senate District 10. This session, she's vice chair of the Veterans Affairs and Military Installations Committee, serves on the Criminal Justice, Higher Education, and Nominations Committees. Born in the Hill Country, she is a, a, rep, a graduate of the University of North Texas. State Rep. Stephanie Click, Republican of Fort Worth, was first elected to represent District 67 in 2012. In the 84th session, she serves on the Human Services and Pensions Committees. She is a graduate of Texas Christian University. State Representative Matt Rinaldi, Republican of Irving, won his District 115 seat in 2014. In the 84th session, he's on the business and, com business and industry, pardon me, and agriculture and livestock committees. He is a native of Connecticut, has an undergraduate degree from James Madison University, and a law degree from Boston University. 
Finally, my spirit animal, state representative Jonathan Sticklin. <laughs> the aforementioned The aforementioned Republican of Bedford, elected to represent District 92 in 2012. This session, he's on the County Affairs and Special, Purposes, Special Purpose District Committees. Born in Plano, he attended Tarrant County College and Parkland College. Please join me in welcoming our great panel. So let me start with Representative Sticklin and Representative <laughs> Click. You are the grizzled veterans <laughs> in this group, uh, all the way back as you were to, to 2012. Um, uh, you all came into this session having spent time in the legislature previously. You knew what to expect. You had experienced what it was like to be in as a conservative. You had come in with all sorts of ideas full of beans. You hit the, the wall that is the institutional reality of the place, maybe it doesn't go exactly as you hope, but you go into a session like this one, 2014, with some expectations, some hopes and aspirations. Representative Click, what did you want to accomplish in a broad sense going into this session in 2014? I would say this session, unlike my first session, I knew that it wasn't enough just to file a bill, that you needed to sell it. Right. Uh, and was, you know, far more prepared to, to sell the legislation that I wanted to advance this session. Right. Uh, with a fair degree of success. Right. Well, in fact, we'll come back to the bill that you did pass that uh, we all now uh, famously know as the cannabis oil, cannabis, uh, cannabis oil bill, uh, uh, which was a real uh, sh show of your ability to work with a whole bunch of different people and get stuff done, and it, it made a lot of uh, headlines as well. Representative Stickland, I know that you are shy and retiring with no opinions. Uh, right. Um, uh, you came into this session having experienced the last session, presumably with a whole laundry list of things you wanted to accomplish. Sure. The, the main thing I was focused on was the budget. Right. Um, the budget in our freshman year was horrendous, in my opinion. Right. Um, I thought it was very interesting that we had such a large number of Republicans vote against the budget, even though it was supposedly written by Republicans. So. My hope was that we would get a far more conservative budget this session right. than we did. That in our, was priority in our number one for you. Yes, yes. Yeah. And uh, priority number two, I really wanted to focus on getting rid of some of the rules and regulations, uh, getting back on the red tape, yep. and getting back to true free market principles, getting rid of crony capitalism and uh, some of the... Right. Se Senator Betancourt, you had been in elective <clears throat> office before, in fact, of the group up on, on stage. No one had run for and won elective office before. You had been the uh, tax assessor and collector of Harris County. You uh, understood what it was like to have uh, conservative ideals and aspirations for a position, but then get into elective office and discover that maybe it's not all that it's cracked up to be. That maybe you can't do everything that you want to do just by virtue of winning an office. Well, I think the, the real point is that when you look at the overall session, uh, we did succeed at, at solving a lot of Texas problems with conservative solutions. And that was what you wanted to do. I'm thinking about the mindset going into it. That's what you wanted to do going into it. Well, the mindset for me has been, it was obvious because as a tax assessor, I see my, uh, one of my worthy successors out in the audience. We've had a history of being tax assessors that are for tax cuts. So bringing that to uh, the capital, yeah. um, it was the, my obvious priority, but what was you know, interesting, and I think uh, I'm very happy that we showed up on this shift and not the prior shifts, okay? Yeah. Because we actually delivered $4.05 billion worth of tax relief. Something you don't think you would have done necessarily in a previous session. Uh, there's no doubt from the stories that I've heard uh, until we had this effectively complete shift change right. in Republican leadership 
uh, that that would not have happened in the prior session. Now, the good news is, is now that we've got that started, the question is, is how much more can we do and that's in where the we're next gonna, session? And that's where we're going to go, uh, interim charges and, and going forward. Uh, Senator Burton, you, you ran to succeed Wendy Davis in the Senate, and I expect that for the fans of yours up in, in, uh, in, in your part of the state, not being Wendy Davis may have been enough. Absolutely. Right? But, Absolutely. You but you didn't just come in to not be Wendy Davis. You came in to accomplish certain things. What was it you Absolutely. wanted to accomplish in, tw in, in 2015 session? Well, what I talked about a lot on the campaign trail was um, tired of the diversions in the budget. We yep. need to, to focus on priorities, on our priorities in the state. We right. need to get back to um, funding core uh, functions of state government, getting our uh, tax dollars to go to transportation or roads, education, public safety, right. the border. Meat and potatoes. That's right. That's right. right. And so in, for too many years, in, in um, sessions previous, there were too many diversions. Um, there wasn't the focus on those. People are frustrated. We've got you know um, gridlock in a lot of parts of Texas. Um, we're putting up toll roads. People are frustrated. They're yep. paying taxes to pay for roads. And yet uh, we're having to put up toll roads everywhere. They see it as double taxation, yep. um, you know, things like that. So, so I, you know, I get a little frustrated sometimes when people think, uh, those of us that come from the uh, Tea Party wing of the Republican Party think that we don't want to spend. It's just the opposite. We want to spend on what we think the state should be spending their money on. So you mentioned the Tea, the tea Party wing. So you and Mr. Rinaldi both have uh, strong backgrounds in Tea Party groups in your part of the right. state. Right. You, in fact, were an officer at the Northeast uh, Tarrant, uh, right. uh, Tea Party group. Did that experience... In, in particular, I guess it sounds like maybe it did shape your expectations going in. It, it wasn't. It wasn't that. It wasn't that group. I mean, it was just all of us together at the same time. Kind of woke up. It was. It really yeah. came from the national government. What's going right. on nationally? That's where it all mm -hmm. came from. Right. And it wasn't because of Barack Obama. It was because of George W.'s second term, um, where we got so frustrated. It didn't seem to matter what what party was in charge. The government continued to grow and overreach continued to happen and those kinds of things. And so we all got very frustrated. It's like why you know we're electing Republicans who are supposed to be small government, and yet we're, our government is growing. And the problem was not just one party, but it was both parties. Exactly. As you, as you exactly. Said. And then I, we quickly learned that you can't just solve it. You can't just reelect people at the national level and, and it all be, you and know, well. It's all we okay. have to work from the bottom <clears throat> up. Right. So. Uh, Mr. Rinaldi, of the five on stage with me today, you are the one who ran against an incumbent in a primary to defeat that person. What was he not doing? Because now, of course, full disclosure, he's now running against you uh, in this cycle, he's yes. tr he's trying to return to his old seat. What 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 was the problem you were trying to solve there, and what and what did it? How did that align with your aspirations for your time in the legislature? Well, the problem we were trying to solve is to have a Republican that actually votes for the Republican Party platform, uh, and actually <laughs> works towards implementing the Republican Party platform. Uh, my opponent didn't. He voted with Democrats more than he voted with conservatives like Stickland. Um, and that's the problem, I think, in a lot of offices. See, yeah. what you had said before, you had said a third, a third, a third. Well, it's rough. I don't think that's correct. That might be correct in the legislature. But as far as the voters go, it's not a third, a third, a third. Or else Republicans wouldn't be running as conservatives when they're clearly not. You would have a moderate candidate running right. as a moderate, and you'd have a conservative running as a conservative. So you think, Mr. Rinaldi, that if you looked at the Republican Party makeup in the state, it is actually more of a grassroots conservative makeup than is reflected in the legislature? Absolutely. Anybody yeah. disagree with that up here? No, and yeah. I, think, I think the proof is in the pudding, because if you look at the races that we're winning, we're winning them with pennies on the dollar up against the establishment, right. left and right. And that's because the people are hungry for what true conservatives are giving them. Yeah. Moderates don't motivate anybody, because they don't really stand for anything. They typically have their uh, finger up in the air and seeing which way the wind blows. Um, 
I don't have a problem with them as much. I'll, I'll tell you, I find it easier to, to get along with Democrats at times because right. it's the right. establishment Republicans who aren't telling the truth, in my opinion. So authenticity and <clears throat> conviction, even if it it's is. on the Democratic side, is more appealing go, to you. Go read some of their websites. I mean, they sound like they're Matt Rinaldi or Stephanie Click on their websites, but they come down here and they govern in a different way. Mr. Mr. Rinaldi, let me come back to you for a second. So Mr. Stickler talked about a conservative budget. Ms. Burton talked about infrastructure and kind of meat and potato stuff. Let's spend money wisely as opposed right. to not wisely. Was there an issue or two that you came into the session thinking, I, leaving aside vanquishing Mr. Ratliff, I want to focus on this. I, I had been focused on the budget. I had seen a spending spree like Texas has never had before right. the previous four years. Controllers' projections went up about 57% in a four-year period. We had more money coming in than ever before, and we were spending it and going into the rainy day fund uh, with no significant tax relief. Um, I, I, the budget was my focus, and I wanted a budget that didn't increase the real size of government. Right. I think Mr. we got now, that. Now I come back to Mr. Stickle. Go ahead, Mr. Okay. And what we did was we passed a budget that had 1.8% uh, yearly growth and general and general revenue dedicated funds. It's a very conservative budget, and we need that because we're actually heading into an economic, you uh, know, recession. And it's certainly in my district. I've already got, or at least in West Houston, we've already got tens of thousands. You of all are rent. you all are feeling the downturn in the oil right. economy, but in in reality, as I said to the lieutenant governor last night and the speaker today, passing a budget that did not spend every single dollar looks wiser in the rearview mirror when the comptroller comes back and revises the revenue yeah. estimate down. Mr. Stiglitz, well, there were some of us that were already predicting that the number was too high. Right, but now formally okay, right. we have that right, revenue. Right. Mr. Sticklin, after the session was over, maybe on the day that you gaveled out, you said, I give, I think it was a C plus, is that yeah. right? I give the legislature a C plus. And your problem was this is not a conservative enough legislature institutionally. Is that correct? Correct. I mean, there were some things that were uh, a huge victory. I got to vote for the budget, um, which honestly I was prepared to vote against it yeah. when we came into the session, but recognized that we had moved the argument farther to the right, right. Um, and wanted to applaud those efforts. So you know, it was a passing grade, but there was still so much on the table that should have been done. Um, I, I frankly had to hold my nose and right. um, you know, vote for almost a billion dollars in crony capitalism, uh, which is you know, the enterprise fund and corporate welfare things of that nature. Yeah. So there's still a lot of work to be done. Mr. Stickler, would it surprise, will not surprise you, I'm asking the question, but I know the answer. Would it surprise you to learn that there are a lot of people in this state who look at this legislature and go, how can you be more conservative? Hmm. This is the most conservative legislature in composition and in, in output that has ever been in this whole state. Do you well, not agree with that? Maybe I, it's just not far enough. I think there's a tradition, Texans, and maybe because they're talking to their neighbors the most, Texans want to be fiscally responsible. We want to live within our means. That's the way we feel, that's what the voters are wanting. But I'm telling you, behind the scenes down in Austin, that's not necessarily everything that happens. So the C plus was because of crony capitalism. <clears throat> crony capitalism. It was because of? Uh, we continue to uh, have magnets that are attracting illegal immigration into the state. Didn't do enough doing, on immigration. Didn't do enough franchise on immigration. Tax. We should have el eliminated the franchise tax totally. Even though the hit to the budget, I understand, would have been, I think, $6 billion. That would have been okay if we had seen that decline in revenue? We need, there was not the will to look toward that. 
I will tell you that. But and 25%, that was the greatest 25% frustration. Is, a, is a start. Absolutely. It's a Absolutely. Start. And we're going in the right direction. Right. So it didn't go far enough on franchise tax. Absolutely. No, we, I think we went far enough on the first pass, but there's a difference of opinion. Connie and I sit next to each other, so we have these discussions regularly. Right. But, but, and the real problem about doing away with franchise tax is that over, about roughly half that revenue would go into the property tax relief fund. If you pull it immediately away, guys like Mike Sullivan in Harris County send out tax bills that go up even higher than the average 15% right. in Harris County, the average 12% in Travis County, over oh, the average 11% in Bear County, the average 9% increase yeah. in Dallas County. So you can't trigger a tax increase if you're when you're trying to pull that franchise tax away. I think and I but, say we that, all, but we were and also say, looking for a phase out. Right. So, yeah. You know, and, right. and, and so So you would like you wanted to see the franchise tax go absolutely. away absolutely. or go faster away. And I know crony is, capi uh, crony right. capitalism is a thing that you have a problem with as well. And also I was yeah. very frustrated with the school choice bill that came forward too because it was tied to the franchise tax. And that, you know, it, when we do something like that, yeah. um, not only are we social engineering, which we do far too much of in government, um, we've also now have constituents that don't want to get rid of this franchise tax because their uh, children's ability to go to their a school of their choice is tied to the franchise tax. So there's frustrations in those, you know, in the details of things down there. And and, and it's probably, and like I said, we, I mean, like um, Representative Sickland said, I mean, we, we're doing some great things. We're moving in the right direction. And there's some great things that we did, but there's also frustrations by those of us that, you know, the behind the scenes um, machinations. That, know, Mr. Rinaldi, what didn't happen that should have happened in this session? Where, where, do, where are you left wanting? In, in every Texas Tribune poll, the number one issue that matters to most Texans... You're pandering, Mr. Rinaldi. It's okay. <laughs> Go, uh, continue. Okay. This is obviously a loyal audience here, Evan. Yes, that's okay. No, Come the on. number one issue is 42% of people, 40% of people, over 40%, nothing else even in double digits, immigration. Yeah, we did nothing to eliminate the magnets that draw illegal immigrants here. So the, the, the fact that you spent, in fact, the House wanted less, or there was a move out of the House for less, Senate wanted more. The fact that you spent the Senate... 811 million. 800 million right. on border security. That's not an adequate response to the problem in your mind, Mr. Renault. Do you think the border is secure? I have now no that opinions on a journalist. I'm simply asking questions. <laughs> well, I don't think anybody thinks the border is actually secure. So we actually do need to solve the problem of, of what attracts illegal immigrants And so to the our things country. that we should have done that would have qualified as conservative that we did not do specifically are what? Eliminate in-state tuition for illegal immigrants, uh, eliminate uh, benefits to the greatest extent allowed by federal law to illegal immigrants, eliminate sanctuary cities. Um, I mean, just to start, there was an E-Verify bill that included removal of occupational licenses to businesses that hire illegal immigrants. There's much we could have done. We did nothing. And that specific set of issues was your concern coming out of the session? Well, I can tell well, that you. was one. one. I, I mean, I, there were several that weren't addressed. Tell me another one. Uh, another one is real spending caps. It came out of the Senate and the House. We killed it. Right. It's um, one of five major items that don't came say out of the we. Senate that died in the in Well, the we didn't. It was, it was, the House killed, it was it. killed on the House. It was killed in the House. Ms. Click, what didn't happen during this session that would have made it a more conservative session, a session to your liking? One of the things that I would have liked to have seen us uh, get accomplished was some of the insurance reform regarding abortion coverage. Abortion insurance reform. Talk about that. Uh, whether or not uh, that is a covered benefit under plans. Uh, it was up for discussion during the session, but it didn't was, actually make it and legislation. It did not make it back. Yeah. Uh, we passed a version out of the Senate. Right. And, and it, gave it got to the House. stalled in the House when it came to the floor. Right. That would, that would have been more to your satisfaction. It, it, I was not. Oh, I'm so sorry. No, that's okay. I'm sorry. No, please. Uh, Senator no, no. Go ahead. Were you 
Uh, you know, that was a big disappointment. Give me one more. Uh, there were some other pro-life bills uh, that were very much. So the abortion out. issue, the life issue for you, that's right. another, another. You concern. know, the whole conservative thing is a three-legged stool. You have people that are what I would call social conservatives, you have fiscal conservatives, and you also have what I refer to as individual liberty yes. conservatives, folks that are interested in property rights, gun rights, those issues. And any time one of the legs gets shortchanged, the stool tips over. And, and it's not the case that those, it's more like a Venn diagram. There's overlap, but, there mm -hmm. are, but right. it's, those groups aren't exactly lined up the same. Uh, Senator Burton, anything else that you want to add to well, the list I, of things that maybe should have happened? Yeah, one thing that frustrated me was the pre-K. We were going in the wrong direction um, for a conservative legislature, and, and um, I, I thought I think adding pre-K to it was a, a bad idea. Now you know the Tea Party leader from Tyler, Joanne Fleming, who at the time was the chair of of Lieutenant Governor Patrick's grassroots advisory committee famously put out a letter around the time that pre-K was being discussed, right. saying that pre-K was godless and socialistic. Are you with Ms. Fleming on that? What, I'm, what I disagree with is yes. adding pre-K to... Period. Absolutely. Yeah. These are three and four-year-old babies. And, and we are acting like a structured environment is what they need. And, and I'm adamantly opposed to it. Always will be. Right. Uh, Senator Betancourt, what didn't happen in your mind that should have happened in this session that would have made it adequately conservative? There were five major bills that the Senate passed. We've, I think we've talked about three of them. We've talked about the, uh, uh, that passed the Senate, didn't pass in the other house. Uh, the other two bills were the ethics uh, reform package. Oh, right, right. And, uh, and when you look at that, that's a very important issue. And we're going to revisit that, yeah. I believe. It's right uh, there in the interim charges. Right. Yes. right. Um, and, uh, you know, and, and, with, and with everything else that we're doing, uh, we also missed the uh, opportunity to do something about union checkoff. Uh, we passed also in the interim charges. Right. And, right. and when you look at the interim charges, you'll see all five of those major bills. We've got a revenue cap uh, to right. come back, uh, as well as a tax credit scholarship bill that did have more than one alternative source of revenue, not just franchise tax. Uh, but you could have also done it on insurance <laughs> credits and other, uh, right. other, other types of revenue streams. We're going to bring those ideas back, probably plus an educational uh, account scholarship, a grant scholarship. Can I ask, in a, a, the, the answer may differ among you, but I want to understand. So you've listed a bunch of things. If we sat here for another hour, you could list a whole bunch more that you thought should have happened, didn't happen, I wish it happened, and maybe it'll happen next time, maybe not. Why? And be specific. Why didn't the things that you want happen? Did you not have the votes? Did you not have the will in leadership? Was it a process deal that maybe was an accident and next time there's not a pro I want to get to the okay, root of this. Here's the Senate. root. Yeah. Okay, the root is the reason why I didn't want to be there on the prior shift is that fundamentally everything changed when the 21 vote blocker bill rule was modified. Right. Okay? Now, I thought that was going to solve all your problems and everything well, you wanted was going to fly through. Well, a lot of things did fly through because right. when you look at that, that lowering of 21 to 19 and quite frankly the addition of Senator Burden. Uh, as, to make the, to as, the, the 20th, as the 20th, as the 20th, right, made a huge difference because, for example, I couldn't have gotten any property tax relief legislation out without that. If you needed 21, well, 21, because I did end up getting four uh, Hispanic Democrats to come on to the property right. tax relief bill, but you had to have a, a, a core of 18 Republicans at right. the first place. Didn't open carry yeah. pass with 20 as opposed to 21? 
Didn't uh, campus carry pass with 20? No, those were both party line votes. Yeah. Okay, yeah, right, 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 point. 20, right. My yeah. point is you're saying that the two-thirds rule, I'm saying that the two-thirds rule so, was theoretically going to make it so that much of the kind of stuff no, you're no, talking no, about there, was going to pass. None, none of, the, none of the, that legislation, I, I don't believe, could have passed right. without the rule change from 2018. And that's the essential thing that Lieutenant right. Governor Patrick campaigned on. Yeah. And that's what was delivered. And really, uh, $4 billion of, of tax relief uh, right. The, the uh, carry legislation, you look at all of those, right. there, there's 27 votes out of uh, over 1,000 that were done on a straight party line, part, straight party line and, and those are right. part but of those But that's bills. why things did happen. My right. question is why, I mean, really the question ought to be, goodness knows you had the two-thirds rule eliminated. You should have been able to have any, this grids, the skids, skids were it's greased. Okay. I, I mean, I'll use property tax relief as an example. Yeah, and then, okay. and then stick, right. stick I'll one get jumping out of his seat. <laughs> yeah. okay. I got, I've got, yeah. in the Senate, yeah. uh, you know, I've got two out of 20 Republicans that are both former mayors that I worked as hard as I possibly could. And name, I had, name them, well, we're I all mean, friends here. It, you know which two are the mayors. type and Selinger. Thank you. Okay. okay. And I worked them as hard as I could on property tax relief. Actually got one of them over the line um, and ended up losing their votes, but then they voted to help get the bill out on, uh, on third reading. But that's the type of work that you have to do. It goes to Stephanie's comment earlier. Right. It, because not all of this, you, if you have 20 Republican votes, it's not all uniform, even for property tax So sometimes the fact that you have 20 and you only need 19 is not Well, you still got the enough. committees to get through. Still and you've got, got committee that. chairs to get through. Right. Representative Stickland, I want to just, before I go to you jumping out of your seat, I want to let the senator speak because the Senate situation is different than the House. Right. Uh, uh, senator Burton, I asked the lieutenant governor this. Others there, you know, Representative uh, Rinaldi mentioned in-state tuition for undocumented students. Going into the session, if there was one thing that I thought this legislature was going to do was overturn in-state tuition for undocumented students. Well, there weren't even the votes for that in the Senate. It wasn't a question of, oh, well, the Senate passed it and then it got over to the House. What, is that what we're calling it now? Undocumented students? What should I, what should I call them? Ill illegal immigrants. I'm going to choose students. to call them undocumented, and at your end of the panel, you call them whatever you want. Okay. So did, it get to the, did that get to the floor? What? Did that get to the floor? The, um... No, the lieutenant governor told me when I interviewed him in June, why, I said, well, how come that didn't pass? So we didn't have the, we were a couple votes short of that. We Was didn't it have the votes. committee or? Well, I, I, uh, not advised. I, I, no, I don't think he even came out of committee yet. Yeah, I was going to say, I think that one, I, I think that, that was solved. So I guess, I guess my question so is, this is maybe, maybe to Senator Bettencourt's point, in some cases, the fact that you had 20 votes but you changed the rules was not, in fact, enough. True. Right, because yeah. you've still got to get it through committees, and you've got committee chairs that have right. a lot of power, and, um, you know, that's very frustrating. I will tell you, as, a, as somebody incoming, that was incredibly frustrating. It's not like I didn't right. know it, yeah. but you do see it, at a, obviously, and, and committee chairs. You know, one person out of the huge state can decide whether a bill gets through or not to get to the floor. Right. Uh, that's very frustrating But, of course, your me. Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick, the most conservative statewide elected official in the history of this state, appointed those committee chairs. Right. So if you're dissatisfied with the committee chairs and the work of those chairs, who is that on? There is a limit to what any one individual can do, even a lieutenant governor, Evan. And when you look at it, you keep saying the most conservative in, in history. I think Dan would be happy with that label, even though I'm not sure in a one-party state before World War II between the conservative Democrats and the liberals. What well, if you're like. going to ask me what happened okay. in the 1860s, that, I will acknowledge right. I'm not well, on that part of our history. But I, I go back to this point, and what I think is important is that, you know, you, you look at what happened in the Senate, okay? 
uh, we've already listed five major bills that came out that yeah. did get passed in the House. We, you know, you look at tax relief came out. First time, whether how much franchise tax relief we could offer is debatable, but the fact that we actually did it is a reversal of a Republican run, uh, you know, House and Senate signed by a Republican governor uh, 10 years ago. So there was actually some major changes of the whole vector of how the how this looks in both the Senate and the House. And, and yet the consensus seems to be we did as much as we were able to do given the structure and the numbers right. and everything else. We right. sent a bunch of stuff over to the House where the bills that we cared about that we wanted went to die. You blame the House? Is that what it is? I don't. I don't. I mean, it's we all have to, you know, it's all of us together. I, I don't know. I don't I think it I find it very strange this House Senate Thing. Well, I didn't I mean, put the table there. I, uh, yeah, <laughs> I, I, you know. Well, somebody did, Evan. You know, come on, and you're a fight promoter, so I don't that's what this is. I find, but I just mean uh, this. Yeah, that's right. I, I think it's very. Well, I don't know. I think people make it into what it is, you know, and and, and I, I don't. It's I mean, not. No, a, you no, think it's not okay. a house versus senate? Uh, right. right. It shouldn't be. I there's mean, there's Rinaldi's a, got a bib on, waiting for me to ask him <laughs> <a> question. <laughs> you guys think it is more of a the house killed a bunch of good things that were in it? The house absolutely did yeah. kill a bunch of great things that the senate passed, and the house was less conservative than right. the senate. They, uh, people try to make it into a house versus senate thing right. in order to obscure the fact that it's actually a very conservative senate, and there's mm -hmm. something lacking in the house that isn't happening. So I'm not saying it doesn't exist. I realize yeah. that. But I'm just saying, you know, I, I just think, anyway. You're being very so gracious. If, <laughs> so, if, so if the legislation of the sort that you all ticked off and stuff that you didn't tick off did not happen, Mr. Rinaldi, you actually put the responsibility for that in part on stuff dying in the House, that the House did not do it. Well, well you can see which died where. Um, for example, sanctuary cities it was something the Senate wanted to take up. It died in the House. Spending caps, the Senate passed it over to the House. School it choice. died. Um, school choice. Uh, Senate Bill 575 was killed because of because of the right. zombie ethics bill that was changed in the in the House. Yeah. Um, Mr. Stickland, you agree? Yes. But I, but <laughs> that I, may be the I shortest be answer you've ever given. Well, me. I want to be I want to be specific when yeah. he says the House. There were many of us that were screaming to bring some of these right. bills to the floor. What, is, what are the numbers that you, so the, the Freedom Caucus, just to make a point of comparison, in the U.S. House is said to be about 40 out of 247. What would you say your Freedom Caucus is or your whatever you want to call it? How, it what are your numbers in the House reasonably? It depends on the issue. Yeah. Right. I mean, I mean, I mean, it really does. Many people talk about 19. You were three of the 19 who voted against the Speaker. Sure. In reality, those numbers do fluctuate, right? Depending, Depending upon on the issue. Yes, and as you get closer to leaving Austin, our numbers go up dramatically. Right. Because people know they're about to face the voters again and get out of Austin. I guess so. this is, so I guess this gets to my question. It's not a version of what's happening in the Senate. You guys just don't have the numbers. Elections have consequences. If you want to get your stuff passed, vote more of your guys in. Mm -hmm. Isn't that it? Yeah. The problem, though, is is that they're not being honest with voters. So there's a lot of education. Who's they in this case, Mr. Well, the establishment. I mean, who's the, the establishment, Mr. Stickler? The people who are in charge of the Texas House right now, and the ones that are single-handedly stopping this legislation. Leadership. Leadership. Yes. And and the problem is is that, again, they are not running around going back to their district and saying, look, I want to work with the Democrats, and I'm going to stop these bills from happening. They are campaigning as the same thing that we are. They're just not doing that when they get to Austin. So it makes it harder for us when we're coming you know, at it with integrity and saying this is who we are. They, they're not being honest with voters. They're, I, have never, Clark, you agree I do that? not serve with one Republican in the Texas House yeah. who campaigns as a moderate. Not one. 
but you believe there are a number who governors mom. <laughs> On a good day. Yeah. Uh, Ms. Ms. Click, do you agree with that? I think that uh, more than ever before, voters are actually paying attention yeah. what we're doing mm -hmm. in Austin. I was amazed during session getting text or Facebook messages from constituents when we were on the floor at midnight and they were online watching. Yeah. Right. And I think that it's harder to do one thing in Austin. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's getting harder now. Yeah, isn't it? it's, yes. well, that, that would suggest to me Absolutely. that in the future elections, some of that stuff may come home right. to roost. It, I guess I'm possible. trying to understand in this previous session, though, is the problem, as Mr. Rinaldi and Mr. Stickland are suggesting, that leadership or the establishment, and I'll try to again to get it exactly what you're talking about there, that those folks made it so that many of the bills that came out of the Senate simply would not pass, whether it was rules, process, what have you, didn't have the votes, or there was just an effort on the part of leadership to make certain that those things did not get to the floor. What, what, what's your, there is help us understand. only one way to pass a bill and thousands of ways to kill them. What's, yeah. the, one, what, what's the one way to pass a bill? Uh, you know, getting to 76 votes yep. in the House. Yep. Uh, and when you're in the Senate and you've got fewer members, you're looking for fewer votes. But in the House, we've got to have 76 votes. Yeah. Uh, to get it done. Mr. Stapley, you talked about the leadership. Let's go there. This is about the speaker, isn't it? It's not so much about Joe in particular as who he has chosen to enable. It's the people that he has surrounded himself with. So is with. it about committee chairs? Yes, in a lot of, in a lot of, in a lot of cases, yes. So you don't blame the speaker because it seems to me I blame the, the speaker for do. putting them as committee chairs. You do? I do. Mr. Rinaldi, do you? I agree. You don't think it's on the speaker per se, but it's on the choices that the speaker makes at the beginning of a session. I, I, I agree in the choices during the session. Obviously, right. there's a lot of influence over members as well. As you know, the definition of insanity is looking at the same set of circumstances and expecting a different outcome. Mr. Strauss has said that he intends to stand for speaker again a fifth time. If he's elected speaker again, do you expect that the, the outcome will be any different than it's been previously in terms of the committee chairs? I don't. No, and if you look at some of the comments that were made before the last session, I think we got a hint of his plan. I remember him saying things like, well, we're, we're called to be the adults in the room, and you know, we're going to stifle some of the Senate stuff. I mean, look, bottom line, <clears throat> I filed the bill to get rid of in-state college tuition for illegals. I filed it. I was told the day that I filed it, you're never going to get a hearing. Who told that you? That stuff, who, Byron who, Cook told who me. Who told you? Byron Cook told me. What, what, did, what did Chairman Cook, Chairman of State Affairs, what did he say? I asked him for a committee hearing, and he said, you are not going to get one for that bill. Did he give you a reason why? Well, it didn't matter because he was the one that got to say yes or no. So, you know, it was very obvious to me that they were very blatant about their agenda. There were things that were off limits. And the way that they went about it, specifically with even the way that some of the bills were written, for instance, when we dealt with the texting while driving bill, that thing was razor sharp like a rifle shot so that no other amendments could go on. <clears throat> That's the way they designed the entire session. So much of it was theater. And when you talk to members one-on-one -on -one in the House, even people that are on their side, which is why I think the speaker's team, if you will, is having problems in general right now, is because they felt so micromanaged in the House that it was miserable for most members, even people of his own team. Who was micromanaging them? The, the leadership team, the chairman. The leadership team was micromanaging members. Yes. And, I mean, if you look at it, there were, there were tons of different bills that were, that were brought to the floor where no amendments were allowed to be put on. Right. I mean, they were designed from the moment that they were written to keep certain bills and certain votes from not happening. And we saw that time and time again. It, it's Senator. funny, Representative Stickland saying, uh, 
and you mentioned the Freedom Caucus, right? I mean, all, I mean, we, are, we are elected to represent the people in our districts, right? And it sounds very much like, you know, instead of, um, you know, they get impugned because um, they're called, I don't know, obstructionists and that kind of sure. thing, when it's just the opposite, right? I mean, a chairman telling him that his bill is, is not even is gonna get heard in DOA, committee. Right. right. So, and it's exactly what the Freedom Caucus, what I hear from them, you know, on the national level. It's not that they, you know, they're obstructionists. They just want a chance to be heard. They want a chance to be heard for the people in their district. Obviously, right. these bills are being brought forward because their constituents are, are wanting it. Right. So why can't that go before committee, the committee decide whether it should go on, and then you vote on it on the floor? Isn't that, supposed, isn't that the way it's supposed to work? So when you talk about, Mr. Rinaldi mentioned rules changes, others on the stage mentioned rules changes. When you talk about rules changes, one of the rules changes would be to allow for what Senator Burton just said. Sure. You want to bring something up, there are going to be fewer obstacles to bring up something. The Speaker of the House, if you go back and you look at history, was almost a punishment position for most of our state's history. It is it was certainly a, in the U.S. House now. It yeah. Was a, yeah. <laughs> but it was an administrative position. Well, the job's wide open now, Evan. Right. Yeah. It was so, an administrative right. position. Right. And from what I've been told, you know, people didn't want it. Now that position has been so consolidated with power right. that the, the individual it's, members do not have a chance right unless they fall into that power structure right. and swear allegiance from day one. And that is what has gotten us to this point. I mean, I don't, I'll be honest with you, I don't want any Speaker of the House to come out and tell me what is conservative or what's not. I'm not looking for leadership from a specific Speaker to tell me what we should do. Right. I want a Speaker who is going to enable each one of us to represent our districts right. and the constituents that sent us there. But don't you know, and Mr. Have a fair shake. That's Mr. What Stiglin, I want. the people on the other side of this conversation, the other R's in the R versus R conversation would say that all they want to do is represent their districts, and yet they're being told they have to represent a party ideology, not necessarily the people back home. Well, well then we should uh, be voting on. on more bills. Mr. Rinaldi. N not the point. The, how do you presume to know what the people in your district want right. other than if you get elected on a platform and actually attempt to implement that platform? Those people are not trying to implement that platform. They're, they're getting elected on one platform and doing something different. So this is the phrase that Senator Cruz in his presidential race has made quite a bit of, campaign conservative. These are right. people who are That's campaign exactly conservatives. But when they actually get into office, it's a totally uh, different story. Uh, Mr. Stickland, Ms. Click, and Mr. Rinaldi, are you going to oppose Speaker Strauss again in the next session? I think he's got an election to get through before that matters. I understand. He has two opponents. It's five months from primary day. I read the filings as you do. Are you going to oppose should he be reelected? Underscore, underscore, underscore. Speaker Strauss in the next session. So number one, regardless of who is a speaker, I'm going to work hard to advance our movement. Right. So it's not a free pass if he is a speaker again for me not to continue to fight tooth and nail for every single inch. I'm going to do that regardless. Right. I hope that we have an alternative because I don't see or haven't heard from Joe that he wants to change the way that the House operated. I hear from him all the time that my job is to let the House work. But that is not... I rule the House by the will of the members is what I think he said is, since 2009. That, that is not reality. You call BS on that. I do. I do. I've lived it for four years now. You going to run for Speaker, Mr. No. Stickland? <laughs> Mr. Rinaldi, no. are you going to run for Speaker? No. You're sure, Ms. Click? No, not no, interested? No, thank you. Uh, will you uh, are you going into the session expecting that you might have a problem supporting the Speaker again? Yes? Yes? I, Mr. Rinaldi? I, I had a problem last time, and I didn't see anything change. 
Ms. Click? Don't know what our choices are going to be. Got to see what the choices are before you get, get into that, right. Um, Senator Burton. Yes, sir. Uh, you have made a lot of the comparison between Speaker Boehner and Speaker Strauss, have you not? I I've, have. I, I've seen you on social media. I believe it was you on social media who mm -hmm. said, why in Washington do we see a small group of conservatives uh, 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 determine who the leadership is, but actually back here in Austin. No, is that oh, not? No, I wasn't, I certainly wasn't, uh, whatever you're talking about, I, I, don't wasn't, I wasn't speaking about Strauss. I don't, you I don't, were not? I don't know. Uh -uh. So do you look to Washington to see any analogy to Texas? Well, I, I, always, I, I always worry I read, about that. I understood and what I, I read people, of yours to be a deliberate yeah, no, no, attempt no, no, no. to put the two no, together. No, 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 yeah. no. I don't know what that was, but it wasn't about Strauss. Um, you know, I always worry about that. I mean, look, it's politics, right? I mean, we certainly are not on the level of D.C., thank the Lord, right? Um, but I worry about it because it is, uh, we work on a system of seniority down here. Uh, un, um, it's, it's just kind of there, yeah. right? And that's frustrating to me as well. Um, I come down here to represent, again, my constituents. My constituents aren't freshmen. They're, you know, they deserve the equal amount of time. Right. And, um, and you know, it, 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 so it's, it's all kind of, you know, it's all the same kind of issues. Certainly not at the same level, but it's the same kind of issues that, that are frustrating. And it's just the political system. But we can change it. And, and that's what I want. I want there to be a will to change it. I don't like that we work on a senior, that it's a seniority type thing. I, I think that's the absolutely most ridiculous thing, right. that you get more perks the longer you're here. It should be just the opposite. <laughs> you know, as you're, the longer you're here, the less perks you should get so they can go on and move on to a private, you know, uh, get a job in the real world again, I think. Yeah. So, uh, you know, there's, and, and just like the things that you just described, I mean, they just want to have a voice. And if they're not getting that because, you know, a chairman of a committee immediately says it's not going to be heard, there's something wrong with one person in the huge state of Texas making that decision. It needs to have the fair, it needs to have the, the system needs to work. And the system doesn't work because of people who want power. And that's why it doesn't work. Do you have a sense that there is a possibility for the change you're talking about in the next session under Lieutenant Governor Patrick? Is he amenable to the kinds of change and the process that you're talking about? Yes. Mm -hmm. Yes, you've I had, believe you've he is. You've had that I, conversation? I, 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 yes. Yes, I, I have. And, and I, I have, I have uh, certainly voiced my frustrations right. uh, about some things. And it's not his fault. You know, it, he's just, he's the lieutenant governor, right? And, and, and the it's system just those, is, The system as, at now is the right. system. And, and I let him, you know, this is, wow, you know, um, just because you're a freshman, my constituents don't get the level of... Um, concern that others do. I mean, it's just things like that are wrong. And I right. think it's what is frustrating to all the people out there. Right. That's why we have what we have, this kind of emergence of people that are so frustrated. I think there's Senator, a Senator, talk I, about that. I think there's a strong sense of frustration that comes out of people's, especially the Republicans, when they look at what's happening in Washington. But mathematically, I know that what we've done here in Texas works. I know that we're somewhere between 100 times, 1,000 times better, pick a number on it a right. day, because we do have, at least in, in the Senate, I've got a great conservative leader, which is Lieutenant Governor Patrick. Um, and he's already, as you can see, set a tremendously good conservative tone in his interim charges. Right. And, er, and early enough that you all have the opportunity right. to really So right. we're going to be coming into this next session with a real head of steam based upon good public policy. And, and that's why I signed up to do this $600 a month job. 
was to be able to promote. Yeah, you're not doing it for the money. That's for right. Sure. For cons you know, for conservative public policy and to get good conservative solutions to Texas challenges. And let me just say, yeah. you know, because I do appreciate, you know, Senator Bentoncourt will always talk about the good side of it, and that's a good thing. But those of us that that you know point out what needs to be fixed is not a bad thing, and it doesn't mean that I, that um, you know everything is bad. And um, just came out of a session, you know, where one of the representatives there acted like we've all got to get along. I mean, that's the last thing we need in our political system. That's the last thing. We need people like Jonathan Stickland yelling about, <laughs> you know, all of it, right? Don't that worry, that we, only makes it better. Right. So, so I want people to, to quit acting like those that point out the things that need to be fixed that's a bad thing. So, that's Senator, let thing. me let me uh, stay with you on this for a second. The conventional wisdom about the way our system works and what might be needed in this country and in this state is not people working together less. It's people working together more. You don't agree with that? <laughs> okay. What, what did you well, just well, say? You, well, you, you said, I don't know that you, you referred to, it was Trey Martinez-Fisher in the previous session downstairs. Right talking about you know, we, all, we all need to get along, and you don't seem particularly enamored of that idea. Yeah. The conventional wisdom is, in this state and in this country, that the problem is that we need to work together right. as a country right. more, right. not right. less. It sounds like you're advocating no, and, and, for and less, let me, not more. Let me more. explain that a little more. In the Senate, we all get along great. I mean, fabulous. Um, you know, it's 31 senators. We're very close together all the time. You we're get all along well and work well with people with whom you agree not at all. Uh, correct. Absolutely. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. But. That sh you know, so but that doesn't mean that on the floor or that we have to you know not say anything when things aren't working. You know that if things need to be changed and how the structure of, of right. it is, I mean that's a good thing. And that's right. where people kind of get confused. It's like if, you know if we talk about the system as a whole and where it's broken, you know it's like oh they're just causing problems, including your own party's right. involvement. Right. So let me let me ask Ms. Rinaldi about this. This is started to fascinate me as I've watched over the last six months the politics of the Republican Party in Texas. So people have gotten elected over the last couple cycles who, as you say, were campaigning as conservatives and they got into office and maybe they didn't live up to their own billing or other people's billing of them. By any objective standard, I hope they're pretty conservative. They may not check every single box. They may not be 100%. Maybe they're 95%. Maybe they're 90%. But they're still pretty conservative. What has started to be the case, I go on Facebook and I see some of the Tea Party groups will start attacking individual members who, again, by anybody's standards, are conservative. And I'm thinking, this is like the last third of Goodfellas right. when the mob starts killing its own guys. Right. It's like the, the Layla ought to be playing over the legislative feed. I mean, it is, I, I feel like you guys seem to be at one another pretty hard. Now, what Senator Burton is talking about is, well, we should be able to say we don't, we, things don't work out. But there seems to be some kind of fratricide going on on, on the right me, half of the well, party. I, Do you I, agree with that or not? I disagree with your premise. I mean, you're saying pretty conservative. If someone was right. pretty conservative, that wouldn't be happening. Um, what, what you're seeing is uh, Republicans working in lockstep with Democrats to pass Democrat legislation. Um, I mean, that's what you're seeing in, on a federal level. That's what you're seeing on a, on a state level to some extent. And that's what people are frustrated with. They're frustrated okay. because they want a two-party system. They and, want a, a battle of right. ideas. And do not be fooled, Evan, because this cuts both ways, and a lot yeah. of people don't want to talk about that. Right. The top five rated conservatives of the Texas House are all being opposed by establishment-backed, lobby-funded people in this election cycle right now. In the last election cycle, I had a gentleman who was funded 90% of his money from Austin, directed by the leadership team to do so, 
and they spent hundreds of thousands of dollars against so us. So it's not no, just no, your guys trying to not, take out their guys, no. it's their yes, guys exactly. trying to take but, out your guys. Okay, Absolutely. But, but I'm going to make a comment. Yeah. Jonathan's going to be reelected. I know Matt's going to be reelected, and I know Stephanie's going to be reelected. They are representing their districts. They have a conservative viewpoint, and their districts vote for them because they have a conservative viewpoint. That's my personal opinion, not the opinion of this station or anyone else's. Right. Okay? And because, and a, but as a numbers guy, I already know what the conservative ratio in their districts are, and they're going to reflect it, and they're going to be back. Now, what we're going to do in next session is look at the lieutenant governor's interim charges. We've already got a roadmap laid out. Yep. Okay? And we're going to put the cars on the track behind the engine, and we're going to get these bills passed. Now, all the success that we've had, because we have had success, everything that we passed in the Senate, they had to pass in the House, no matter what, because we can't just vote one Senate right. body versus the other. Right. Now, we, we've talked about five bills that I would like to have passed, okay? Those bills will be back and more next time uh, because I see Senator Hall in the audience and uh, we have many, uh, you know, many good ideas, okay? Uh, that we're coming right. back with. And the bottom line is that I'm counting on having good conservative votes out of the House. Right. And I'll, I'm going to give you one example real fast. Yeah. Okay, property taxes. We actually had a legitimate disagreement. Indeed. They wanted sales tax relief. No, 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 no. no, no, no. Yeah. no I know. All right. Yeah. Yeah. I did not sign yeah. that letter. This now, is when they now, take out their dentist now. bond. And <laughs> did you all sign the letter? Now, did you all sign the letter? I did no, not sign the letter. Right. Sign no. See, letter no. these are one of the handful they, of people they, that did, did, they, they. did not sign the letter right. saying that. Now, um, we had a, a major argument about that. The, the, the Senate's view of property tax relief um, from Senator Nelson and uh, from Lieutenant Governor Patrick, that carried the day. That prevailed, right. And we're going to come back with more of that. Right. Um, and I can't wait to get behind that uh, push. Before I, before I go to Senator Burton, the, the reality is, though, that the 2010 breakdown, Republican, Democrat, 2011, pardon me, is going to be 2011 next time, right? I mean, I'm, look, I'm looking at the 2011 breakdown oh. in the Senate. We're not the on the ballot, so the we know it's going to yeah. be But the composition right. of the Senate is going to yeah. be 2011. Yeah. Then, now, you yeah. lose Frazier, you lose l oh, yeah. you replace those guys. That may change some of this, depending upon the issue. But the sure, reality right. is it's not going to be very different. You all would agree, 98-52, in a year where you have heavier Democratic turnout because of presidential election, but if, if there's a want... possibility <laughs> that the Democrats may pick a couple back up. But really, the composition of the House is going to be effective. I think the they're going to lose one, to be honest with you. But yeah. That's your prediction? Yeah. Which but, one? Well, out of, out of El Paso, I think they're going to lose. Which one is that? Mar Marquez? No. no. Who? Come on, come I think on. Moody's district is very close to So you're coming after Moody? Do you have somebody well, you're running I, against Moody? Well, it's not Moody specifically. It's well, you mentioned him. I didn't. I, I said I think he's going to lose. I think he's going to lose. Who that the tape? He said Moody. No, I think Republicans can pick up that seat. Who, who are you putting up against him? Uh, I don't even know the gentleman's name, to be honest with you. But he's going to have Right now, I'm focused well, on Well, we better know by within about two months. That's all I can say. Right now, right now I'm focused on the Republican primary. Right. And I'm very excited about the conservative movement's uh, list of candidates that are running in the I want to come back primary. to Senator Burton, but stay with that for a second, because you're burning always to tell me we have this many people running against insufficiently there, conservative. There, well, we, you know, I, I don't know all of them personally, but right. um, there are well over 30 Well, in, in the Republic of Sticklandia, whatever, wherever it is that you, this all stuff is <laughs> coming from. Right? Sticklandia. Yeah. There are well over 30 <laughs> self-proclaimed movement conservatives right. that are running 
in the Texas House. And we're going to pick up a lot of opportunities just from the establishment team who have uh, retired. You're, you're, you'll session. be helped in part by retirements, yes. but you'll also be going after specific. There are some incumbents who are going to go down. Senator I just Burton. want to mention, because yeah. it's been mentioned a lot about um, Democrats, you know, Republicans voting with Democrats. I think I want to I want to define that a little bit more sure. for me anyway. Um, if it's if it's Republicans who are voting with Democrats to grow government, that's where I disagree, right? Mm -hmm. Because I come together with Democrats, and Absolutely. those of us that are more civil yeah. libertarian uh, Republicans right. do. So I, you know we shouldn't really frame it that way. I don't yeah. think because because it's only when it's growing government that we don't like it's it. Issue, Republicans, it's issue specific, right? Because were, I came together with many um, Democrats, and it was. I loved it. Uh, you know, we worked on criminal justice reform, which was fabulous. I loved that. One of the rare uh, bipartisan issues. Absolutely, truly bipartisan absolutely, issues right absolutely. Right. Um, the cronyism funds are one that I can generally get them on board with, right. um, as well as ethics reforms. Right. So there are areas in which we come together. And and what I always say is, people think, you know, oh, why do you say that um, compromise is a dirty word? Well, when we who don't want more government have to work with somebody that wants more government, the compromise is a little more government, but, right? But so what I like to do is come together where we, you know, on, on issues where it's common ground. Look for areas where you agree. Exactly, exactly. But, but, Senator. But, but let me bring up a, a good point to add to what Senator Burton is saying. We voted for a budget that was the most conservative ever, right, Jonathan? Yeah, oh, yeah. Now, then I can remember. Yeah. Right, now, we included 30 members of the right, Senate. Right, right. Okay, all right. Now you had only one no vote. We had only one no vote. Senator Garcia. Senator Garcia. Yeah. Okay. Now, but but that tells you the power of a good public policy of a good thought, which is a growth rate of 1.8 percent, with prioritization on things like transportation right. and others. Right. And and so when you've got a good strong public policy idea, you can make it stick. And I'll tell you that serving with Dan Patrick is is a great opportunity for all of us in the Senate because he once he has a good public policy idea, he's gonna push until it gives. Yeah. Um, we're gonna take questions from the audience here in a second, so if you have some, please line up. I suspect the audience portion of this will be yeah. spirited, but I wanna ask, <laughs> I want the moderator's prerogative, I wanna ask you about the 2016 presidential race, because at the presidential level right now, we are having a version of this conversation. Right. We are having a conversation about what is and is not conservative, and who is and who is not conservative. On this stage are three people who have endorsed our home state United States Senator Ted Cruz, That's Representative right. Rinaldi, Representative oh, Click, and Senator Burton. Right. The list of 41 that was released by the Cruz campaign in, I'm gonna say two or three weeks ago, five senators and uh, 36 members of the Texas House. Uh, Senator Betancourt, you're not on that list. Why didn't you endorse Senator? Why didn't you endorse Senator Cruz? You missed my announcement for president. Is, are you running? <laughs> yeah. Seventeen. So now we're six right in Congress. Right. That's right. Uh, 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 who are you for? I, I I really like Ted, and so just endorse him. Uh, just I'm, do it right now. No, I'm <laughs> I'm, I'm I'm waiting for the right time. Well, I think this is a great time. Well, well, I do what, too. Well, but what's, what's, don't you think it's a great time? He needs, <laughs> he needs you now. No, it, when, when I think that, listen, I'm on radio every week. Right. Okay, and big megaphone. That, right, big you megaphone. You endorsed him. It's a big megaphone. Right. And I'm, I'm, I'm very sure that after we get past this next debate, there will be a really good opportunity. So are you planning to endorse him? Uh, do, you I, want, do you want to I'm put planning, a note in his locker I'm, instead I'm, of asking I'm him on a date I'm planning on not endorsing anybody else. Okay. Forever. 
No, just from this kind of race. Okay, that's okay. right. <laughs> so basically, this is a pre-endorsement. Like, we'll forget that you said it, but basically, yeah, thank you're you. planning to endorse him. Right. You didn't see point. the guy behind the screen. Right. Okay, right. Stickland. <laughs> yes. Why didn't you endorse Senator Cruz? Um, he seems pretty conservative. He's, he's, I, I love Ted Cruz. I think he's done a great job. Okay. Supported him strongly in the yeah. Senate run. Yep. Right. Um, I and have you not... and Senator Burton agree on a bunch of things. You both went your own way on Senate District 1. Yep. Where you endorsed Representative Simpson over the choice of the Lieutenant Governor. Yes. Right. Representative Hughes. So why not join her and do Senator Cruz? Yeah, Shocking. Why not? Shocking, well, Jonathan. I, I, have, I have not publicly endorsed anyone. I will, however, say... Have uh, you privately endorsed somebody? <laughs> well, I have given money to one candidate. Who's that? Rand Paul. Is he still running? How's that working out? Stop it! Stop it! That's right. Rand, right, Stop no, it. Matt was kind of, was, he was still running, right, right. just yeah. for the record. That, that, um, so you're a Rand Paul guy. I, I, yeah. I love the Paul family. I've known right. them for a number of years. So if Rand Paul not to get out of this race, would you, endorse, right. would you endorse Senator Cruz? Absolutely. You would. No, no, no hesitation? No hesitation. What's going on, Representative Click, in your party that I wake up every day, I keep thinking Donald Trump is going to be gone? <laughs> And then I wake up and he's not gone. And I'm now at the point where I think maybe he's not going anywhere. What's going on in your party? We haven't started voting yet. Yeah. <laughs> is that yes. what it is? Yeah. So the fact that I see the other day he's 38% in Nevada, 35% in South Carolina and all that, this is all the, what was this, who said the entertainment phase of the campaign? This is not actually the legitimate phase of the campaign? But you know, also, particularly on a national poll, polls are not, they've lost a lot of accuracy. Credibility, yeah. Credibility. credibility. It's way early, and we have not started voting yet. And I think the field will change. Wasn't Herman Cain ahead this time last At year? At one yeah. point. Yeah. And then Giuliani before And then Giuliani, that. and then New Gingrich twice. So, oh, so pay no attention to the man behind the curtain right now. I, I think it's important. I think, okay, I think the electorate's telling us something. Oh, they're they, telling they, us, they number the one, that they're sick, of it, they're, they're sick of politicians who've been in Washington forever and act like establishment politicians. Two, they're sick of politicians in the Republican Party ignoring the immigration issue, uh, which Donald Trump has put to the forefront. Uh, and I think three, uh, they want to show how dissatisfied they are with the way our politicians are acting by throwing a nuclear bomb into the Republican Party. Look, Evan, now, I've, I've campaigned for, across this state, my own races, for other people, everything else. People are madder now than they ever have been before. And this time, they're more educated. And they're not just waving flags and yelling in the streets at a rally. Yeah. They're doing something about it. I okay. know what Mr. your next trip fest should be. Yes. It should be Trump versus Sanders right here at UT. You Great. be the moderator. If you can get them. And we'll get 30 to 40 million people sure. to watch that. All right. I'm, okay. I'm, I'm, I'm for Betancourt if that's the case. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Go ahead, sir. Hello. So recently, uh, D.C. Republicans were able to defeat Boehner and McCarthy for the speakership. However, Texas Republicans weren't able to defeat Strauss. So I'm wondering why are D.C. Republicans twice as effective as Texas Republicans? Because they defeated two speakers and we haven't defeated one. Boehner Can I resign. Sure. <laughs> yeah. The one thing that's different in Texas than even in, in D.C. Is, is that our speaker starts out with Democrat votes. And in Washington, they don't even do that. So I think that's part of the. A, a so you would believe in a well, modified version of the Hastert rule as it relates to the speaker's race that you have to have a majority. I have said of, time a majority and time of the again. Majority. If if Joe Strauss was elected the Speaker of the House from the Republican Caucus only, yeah, then I would go out with my caucus and vote for him. But under the current circumstances, can't do it. How many Republican votes did he get last time? There are seven. It was 19. But that's of you. different. Yeah, because now, it hold, was hold on, hold on. 19 of you. Amount. 19 of you against him. I went to journalism, not to school, not to do math, but I can do this math. Sure. 
98 minus 19 is 70, 79. 79. Okay. But Evan, the problem is... 79 <laughs> is more than 76. He was elected with a majority of Republicans. He was, but that vote did not take place in the Republican caucus. It took place before when he came to the table with the Democrat votes first, and there's a big can, difference. Can I answer this gentleman's question sure. directly? And then I want to ask Mr. Rinaldi about the speaker's race, something he said okay. to me earlier, which you said you would say publicly. I want to hear that. Okay. Ooh. Oh, okay. yeah. yeah. Oh, right. Go ahead. No, answer right, right. this gentleman's question. I don't know. I don't want to get in the way of that. No, 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 please. <laughs> You're um, the appetizer. Go all right. Ahead. Now, uh, Boehner's team passed nothing. They, if they had done what we've talked about on radio, we've talked in uh, private, we've talked in public, if they had passed one item after the next and gotten it to President Obama's desk and let him veto, and then brought those vetoes back for override votes, that type of frustration would have exploded the way that it did. But when you pass nothing, you're going to stand for nothing. And the real great thing about being in Texas is that we pass something, so we do stand for something. Right. And that's the big difference between the two. Mr. Rinaldi, you gave me your analysis of the speaker's race in Washington. I asked you about Paul Ryan. And your reaction was? My reaction was I would I, I think he would be one of the worst candidates that conservatives could have for speaker. In fact, what you said was, I'd rather have Kevin McCarthy than Paul Ryan. I, say, I, I think Paul Ryan um, has the greatest disparity between actual performance as a conservative and what he is perceived as being. Um, so I don't think he's a conservative in performance. I do think he's perceived generally as being conservative. So when conservatives oppose him when he goes with Democrats on amnesty and other issues, uh, I think they will be very easily characterized as being, yeah. um, oh, well, they're just, you know, see, they're so unreasonable, they even think Paul Ryan isn't conservative. There are four, I'm going to come to that question in a second, there are four Texans who have put themselves up potentially as candidates for speakers, Sessions, mm -hmm. McCall, Conaway, and Flores. Any acceptable to anybody on this stage? I would love to see Jeb Henserling announced for yeah. speaker, to be honest. Well, but he's. Uh, I think he, he said he won't do he it. He said he won't do I it. I know. I've, I've known him for many are you decades. Any of these acceptable to any of you? I don't know. I don't I know. I don't know him. I, I don't know. I, what I want is some, them to have a strategy, you know, and to fight yeah. and not to just, you know, all of a sudden say, no, you know, we're going to fold right. on this and, you know, tell everybody what their strategy is before they even fight. Um, so that's the four, the one thing the four gentlemen have in common is that, you know, for, coming from Texas, they're on the conservative <laughs> side of the dial. And to take Senator Burton's comment, none of the four are quitters. So they, they, we'd be four, at least I'd be four for four with all of them. In theory, any of them. Right. Please. Okay. Yes. Thank you. One of the priority issues that has been mentioned today, and there's been another panel, and it's in the news quite a yep. bit, is immigration reform. Right. Part of the immigration reform discussion has to do with border security. I would like to know, from your perspective, how do you define a secure border? Right. There was a literal conversation in the panel with Colonel McCraw and, and Chairman Phillips what is a secure border? There's like, a, I guess, a, a literal definition of it. But yeah. Mr. Rinaldi, you brought this up. What would satisfy you as far as a secure border goes? Um, I mean, <laughs> in, in terms of a secure border, I think I would, I would want to know exactly, um, exactly who is coming over the border and when. Um, we shouldn't be apprehending half of the individuals coming over the border. Uh, we certainly shouldn't be apprehending them, turning them over to the federal government and having the federal government release them. Um, so I, I think by definition our border isn't secure when we don't know half of the individuals Is it an in. achievable goal, Mr. Rinaldi? Oh, yes, I think it's absolutely an achievable goal. Uh, is it an expensive achievable goal? 
uh, certainly would be expensive is the federal government's responsibility and compared to a budget that's trillions and trillions of dollars, I think it would be a, a I see some Paul in the audience, and he knows because he serves on the subcommittee, that we're spending dollars because the federal government refuses to do anything in their, in their realm of responsibility. And just as a point, you're, I'm the last local official, because you mentioned when I was tax assessor, yeah. to testify in the House for a photo ID and a citizenship list because we still don't have a citizenship list in the United States. In my mind, any solution without one basically is problematic. Okay. Sir. Mayor Parker of Houston said this morning that conservative legislators believe in local control until they don't believe in local control. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So is, uh, is local, protecting local control right. a conservative value? Th this was, in fact, something I talked about with the speaker today, Mr. Mr. Uh, Star Senator Burton. Mm -hmm. You guys hate the feds. Uh, telling you what to do, but you seem perfectly happy to tell cities what to do. That's the perception of the tension. No, I, I have to interrupt because this is my supposed mayor. Well, I do want Senator okay. Burton to speak. I'll give Senator it to Burton. her in a second. Yeah. But I'm, I hate to say, to tell you this, sir. Um, she has the most failed record of any mayor in the United States when it comes to either transparency, pension reform, or that's any just basic finance. But, but, but none of that but, has to do with but, but, no, but, no, about, about his specific question. Specifically. And, 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 and I'll tell you that I'm very frustrated with Republicans for repeating this often, uh, this local control thing, because it, 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 it has gotten us to where we are, to where we get these kind of comments. Here's the deal the states were first, the federal government gets their power from the states. Right? The municipalities are actually political subdivisions of the state. So the state absolutely has the power to tell, to tell municipalities when they have overreached. It's a bad analogy, in other words. To say that somehow right. you guys are hypocritical is wrong. That's correct. Because the relationship is different. That's correct. And, okay. and we have caused that ourselves by saying local control, local control, local control, because that's not how our system is supposed now, to work. to both yes. of you, I want to say something, and to this gentleman yes. specifically. This mayor has been reversed by the Supreme Court three times this summer and once by the trial court because she cannot write ballot language that isn't deceptive or false on its face. The mayor has no credibility coming up here talking about local control when she is the only mayor of a major city in the United States since World War II that I can find that has been reversed on ballot language errors and deceptive practices three times by our own Supreme State Court. I'm getting the impression that he doesn't like her. <laughs> no, I, on a personal Am level, I, I have no opinion. As a, as a mayor, she is an absolute, uh, you know, not telling the truth to the public, in my opinion. Ma'am. Good afternoon. I want to thank you for your discussion today. It's been very insightful for, for me. But I have a curiosity. What is it about giving uh, in-state tuition to illegals that you oppose? And let me just say, we just heard Dr. Murdoch, who comes here every year and tells, gives us information that if you're like me, I want to go slit my wrist after I hear from him, but I have hope also, like he does. But if education is as important as we all know it is, can you explain to me why you want to offer a barrier to these young people who we require them to be in school to get an education if they live in this state? Mr. Stickland, so I filed the bill. Go ahead, tell um, us why. So I'm passionate about this issue. For me, it was very simple. I have people from my district, taxpaying Texans who are here legally, who do not have the assistance to get their kids into higher education yeah. because we are subsidizing others. Until we start putting Texas kids first, 
I'm not willing to take money out of my constituents' wallet to pay and encourage people who are here breaking the law. Tell and me, I tell may, let me, let me I ask for this. clarification how, how is, on what you just said? How is somebody who uh, is if given... If we live in the state of Texas and we have our driver's license and all no, of I that, then don't they also, uh, your, your constituents, get in-state tuition? And I is that not... Am I confused? I and want law-abiding Texans let, let him answer, right. yes. to be okay. prioritized above the people who are here illegally. But how does it, but let me and ask there you, is not enough Stickler. money right now to take care of these kids adequately. <laughs> and when we start doing it over here for the illegal ones, it starts diluting for our kids. Our kids and our, and our pocketbooks are the ones that are taking the hits. You understand, frankly, Mr. Stickland, uh, there isn't a finite amount of, 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 of in-state tuition to offer. I mean, basically, sure. if somebody is admitted That's to a right. university, well, you can either let them pay in-state tuition or not. Right. We're not talking about, I'm not talking about not letting them into an institution. I'm talking about taking taxpayer subsidies right. and paying for right. it. The, that is but completely I've never the ever heard that. Let me just point out the very fact that we have in-state and out-of-state tuition means you're giving preference in tuition to some students and denying others a, a more affordable education. So the question is, are you going to give preference to those who are here illegally over people from Oklahoma or New Mexico or other Americans who may be in the state? Or are you going to give preference to those individuals in the state of Texas? If you're going to give the same tuition to everybody, then give the same tuition to everybody and do away with in-state and out-of-state tuition. You see, that, that does not, I don't understand that. If they live in Oklahoma, they don't live in Texas. And so they shouldn't get in-state tuition. If they're here tuition. illegally, then but they shouldn't be But if they're here in Texas, in Texas yes. and they've gone through our public schools, and they get that degree, then I, 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 it just doesn't commute to me, mainly because We've got to encourage every child to go to okay, college. Thank you. thank you very much. Right, We're going to let, I'm gonna, right. we have time for one more question. I'm sorry for those of you who've been lined up, but the time is about to end. This is the last question, sir. Okay. Um, this deals primarily with the will of the people. And, uh, I'm sorry, with the will of the people? That's where I'm going with okay, this. Okay, go ahead, please. please okay, ask, there was a harbinger in right. yes. 2012. 50% of the people called themselves uh, pro-life and 41% called themselves pro-choice. Now it's flipped. Everything's flipped. And now 50% of the people claim to be pro-choice. No. And 44% claim to be pro-life. Can I see a show of hands on who's going to change their well, where, where, where is this poll, polling yeah, there? Gallup, we don't, Gallup, the Gallup polls, right, and nobody's yeah, going to change their line from yeah, being pro-life up here, so don't well, worry I, about I that. I think you've got five people who are pretty, pretty <laughs> yeah, solid pro-life right. up here. I so. just, you know, and to, and to, just to help those that don't under, understand where we come from or where I come from, <laughs> is I believe life is a right, and rights are different than laws. And we must, and, and the and government's first duty is to protect the rights of its citizens. And Only that's why duty. I will always protect life. This is a conversation that I okay. suspect would take potentially four hours and we will not resolve. Thank it. you. Um, um, uh, I appreciate and respect the opinions of the people up on this stage. They're very good sports to come here and to talk about <laughs> the work that they do and what they believe before this audience. And that's It's festival. not hard with a room full of patriots. We thank them. <laughs> I, and let me say, I still have a thing to represent the Obviously. Uh, right. Representative Stickland, Rinaldi, and Click, Senator Burton, and Senator Betancourt, thank you all. We have a reception outside in the courtyard for all of you. Please join us and let's toast civic engagement. Thank you. Thank you, Evan. Thank you very much. No. Thank you, Evan. Thank you. I appreciate it.